Thanks for joining us here at Temple Baptist Church in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. If you would like to see other resources or learn more about our ministry, check out www.tbccentralia.com. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. In the springs, when the kings march out to war, David sent Joab with his officers and all of Israel. And they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and strolled around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman, and so David sent someone to inquire about her. And he reported, this is Bathsheba daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. In verse 4 it says, David sent messengers to her, and when she came to him, he slept with her. Now she had just been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Afterwards, she returned home. The woman conceived and sent word to inform David, I am pregnant. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just ask you to bless your message and allow us to hear uh, what you have for us, and to hear uh, the word of the Lord as it, it should be uh, rightly preached. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, if you haven't figured it out, um, we are starting a new series, and the, the title of that series is called Breaking Bad. And there's a TV um, show that I think it had about six seasons, and maybe ten years ago it started, and it was called Breaking Bad. And the whole premise behind that that um, show was that there was a, a chemistry high school teacher, and um, life wasn't going very well for him. His name was Walter White, and so Walter was faced with a lot of dilemmas. And one dilemma was, as a school teacher, he could barely make ends meet to, to support a family. And then on top of that, his wife was pregnant. And then to add to that, he, his uh, teenage son was struggling with cerebral palsy. And then he found out that he has terminal cancer. And so you can imagine with all these different stressors going on in his life, and then to find out that he has terminal cancer, um, he believed that this was probably going to ruin his family, that he was going to lose, um, and, and he was going to be gone and not have a way to take care of his wife and kids. And so Walter made a desperate decision. He broke bad. And he decided that he was going to earn as much money as he could in the time that he had left by turning an old RV into a meth lab and sell drugs. And really, if I were to surmise that um, with a one line, what that TV show was all about, and it was this, a journey from the homeroom to the gates of hell. Because that's exactly what Walter White, and yes, it was a TV show, but that's exactly what he experienced. And so today, I want to show you through Scripture that there's actually people in the Bible, and I'm convinced there's people in our, our congregation today that life happens. And when life happens, sometimes it's very stressful, and we make decisions, and many times we make decisions where we break bad. And when that happens, 
there's always another chapter. There's always the rest of the story. And I want to show you what the Bible shares with us about the rest of the story. And so I'm going to read to you in 1 John chapter 2. If you'll look at verse 16, it says this. For everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's lifestyle is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And so the next three um, sermons, one's going to be on the lust of the eyes today, one's going to be on the pride of life next week, and then the lust of the flesh in the third week. So, um, what I, But here's what I find interesting. When I say the word lust, most people have a, a picture of what lust looks like. And what I would tell you is the way that we're perceiving it right now is not the way that the word intentionally started. Because the original, um, when lust was defined, it was originally just a neutral term, and it meant desire. Well, certainly, when most people use the word lust today, they think in a lot more of just desire. If, if you wanted to, to split hairs, it was a great desire. So in, in, this is how they would use it in, in language. They may say something like this, I lust for some of grandma's apple pie. And, and, and if, if we were to convert that, it, this is what they're really saying. I really, really, really want some of grandma's apple pie. But what happens um, as the years go by, the centuries in this case, there is a progression of what the word lust. And it changes from a strong desire to craving to covetous. And then what we find out is that our eyes begin to desire stuff. And that equals what we see in this verse called the lusting of the eyes. Now, um, I came across an article where... the. There was a German pastor awaiting execution on Hitler's death row. And when they, after he was killed, they found his journal. And this is what he, one of the last things that he had written into his journal was this. He says, in our members, there is a slumbering inclination towards desire, which is both sudden and fierce. So he's recognizing that there's a natural human condition that is, is, um, creates this desire. And he calls it this, an irresistible power desire seizes mastery over the flesh. All at once a secret smoldering fire is kindled. The flesh burns and is in flames. This lust, the desire, arouses and envelops the mind and the will of man into the deepest darkness. And he says, as a result, the powers of decision are taken from us. And I would argue that the powers of decision are not taken from us, but we are just not, we don't recognize that we're making decisions. Like, I'm confident that Walter White did not recognize he was making decisions that one day would destroy his family and cost him his life. And I'm convinced that we make decisions because of desires that we don't realize that one day will probably cost us our job, cost us our friendships, cost us our family, and maybe even cost us our life. And this German pastor goes on to say, it makes no difference whether it's sexual desire, ambition, vanity, desire for revenge, fame, and power, or money. When desire is inflamed in the heart of man, our joy in God is extinguished. You see, it's at this moment when the joy of God is, dis- is extinguished that desire takes us captive. 
And when it takes us captive, God becomes unreal to us. He loses all reality, and the only desire that we have is to consume it. And see, Satan, he doesn't have to fill us with hatred of God. All he has to do is help us forget about God. And that's really what the lust of the eyes does. It takes our eyes off of God and puts it on us and what we want. And so this is why I titled the sermon today, Appetite for Destruction, because the lust of the eyes is exactly that, an appetite for destruction. You know, another good definition of lust of the eyes, a word that we use is greed. And when I think about greed, greed is an insatiable desire to have more. More of what? More money, more possessions, more gratification, more power, more status, more food, more house, more ring, more you fill in the blank. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 15, and this was Jesus as he's walking through um, in verse 13, it says, Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Verse 14, Jesus says, Friend, he said to him, Who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told him, what, told them, and this is his disciples who were following him, Watch out and be on guard against all greed. Because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. And what I want to share with you today, church, is that we need to be on watch for all types of greed. See, it's easy for us to think about our pocketbooks when it comes to greed. But really, this lust of the eyes can be so much more than just have to do with money. I want to show you a little bit about this. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5, the Bible tells us that greed is the equivalent of idolatry. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your worldly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. If you jump over to 1 Corinthians 5 and 10 and verses 11, I did not mean the immoral people of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. And so Paul was telling them to avoid certain people. And so the, the Corinthian church was like avoiding everybody that met those conditions. And so Paul clarifies it here. He says, but now I am writing not to, to tell you not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer who is sexually immoral or greedy. Now, what's interesting that I find that the Bible, God's word, equates greed with sexual immorality. And what I want you to understand is it's all about the heart. It's all about the desire that's inside of us. And what happens is you lose control over that desire because it, it, it's like that fire that consumes us. One of the um, things that I see as we drive down the highway are billboards. Has anyone ever seen a billboard? You know, do you know why people pay money to put stuff up on those billboards? Because we see it and we respond to it. And so, just like billboards appeal to the eyes, I think of toddlers. Have you ever seen that toddler that they, they walk in the room and they've got something in each hand? And then you're, you, you've got something, and what do they do? They, they want yours too. And then they go over to the table, and then there's more toys, and then they, they want them all. 
And then another little toddler comes into the room with a little toy. And what do they do with everything that's in their hands? They drop it and they go over and they take it from their toddler friend. This is normal. Do we have to teach the toddlers to do that? Are you evil parents out there teaching your toddler, you know what, when you've got everything, drop it and go get it from little Johnny because you deserve it. I've never done that, and yet I've seen the most precious little boy in the world, my grandson, do exactly what I'm talking about. Not even two years old yet, and he's got to figure it out that everything is his. You know what, as Christians, we're really not that much different. The problem is, we don't do it here inside this sanctuary. Let me show you what I mean. Let's go to the book of Proverbs in the sixth chapter. And I want to read to you, and I want to kind of explain this and and what the the, uh, writer of Proverbs, Solomon, was saying to us. Verse 23 says, For this command is a lamp. This teaching is a light and correction and instruction, and it's the way to life. Verse 24, Keeping you from your neighbor's wife, and from the smooth talk of a wayward woman. Now, I want you to understand, that's not just an incidental sentence inside of this paragraph. Who was the author of this proverb here? It was Solomon. Solomon was called the wisest man. But whose father, who was the father of Solomon? King David. And I want you to hear me very clearly. When it says... When, when Solomon is given advice, I'm giving you this advice, I'm giving you this instruction because it will keep you from your neighbor's wife and the wayward woman, a harlot. Here's why he said that. Because guess what his father did? He got pulled aside by his neighbor's wife. And what you don't know about David, and, and this is what I believe and. I think I could take you and show you in Scripture. But I believe that David was born out of an illegitimate relationship. Here's why. He had a lot of brothers, didn't he? And when God had sent Samuel to, um, to anoint the next king, guess who Jesse, his father, didn't bring? He didn't bring David. And a lot of us, we think, oh, because he was the youngest son and he was out there tending the herds. Folks, help me, let me help you understand something. The sons of a rich father like Jesse didn't have to tend the sheep. He was out there for a reason. And when, when Samuel said, I'm going to come and I'm going to pick the next king from your lineage, why wouldn't he get all of them? Because Jesse said, you know what? There's no way that they'll ever pick David. Because he knew about David. He knew how David came in. And what's really interesting is David's great-grandfather, and and, and there's stories in Genesis, and it shares how that he, going along the road, was swindled by a lady dressing up like a harlot. So now this is the baggage that David brings to being the king of Israel. This is the baggage that David brings when he's standing and he's walking along the palace one evening 
and he sees somebody. This is what, this is what his son Solomon says to us. And, and he doesn't stop there because if we go on in verse 25, he says, Do not lust, do not desire in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes because that's exactly what happened to his father. For a prostitute can be had for a loaf of bread, but another man's wife preys on your very life. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Isn't it interesting that every time we talk about lust or desire, it's, it's, like, it's, it's pictured as a smoldering fire? And if you've ever been out by a campsite and sometimes the ashes get over top of it and you look like, oh, the fire's not there anymore. But what happens when you throw another log on to that? And that's what happens in our lives. We look, and it looks like the fire's out. But burning down deep inside, there's embers that are still red hot. They're just covered by those gray ash. And nobody sees that. Our family doesn't see that. Your pastor doesn't see that. Your friends don't see that. And then all of a sudden, your eyes catch something, and that log is dropped onto that fire, and the flame is back. Verse 28, can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his hunger when he is starving. Talking about greed today. When a person is starving and they steal food, are they stealing it because they're greedy? No, they're stealing it because they're hungry. All right? And, and the proverb tells us that, that people, they're not going to despise somebody who's like that. They understand. They've probably been there a time or two. Verse 31, yet if he is caught, he must pay sevenfold, though it cost him all the wealth of his house. But a man who commits adultery has no sense. Whoever does so destroys himself blows and disgrace are his are his lot and his shame will never be wiped away you see solomon was telling david's story right there let me share with you david's story so just as we read in chapter 11 of um, second samuel david is walking around he couldn't sleep at night so he's walking around on the palace and he notices somebody taking a bath on one of his other houses and now, what you probably don't realize is that all of the houses that were closest to the palace, that's where his warriors, those were his warriors' houses. You know, they didn't have texts where like, hey, somebody's attacking the king, get, get here quickly. They wanted them living right there. And so David knew that that was somebody that was close in, to his men. But because he let his eyes stay on that, he told somebody, hey, go find out about this person. And they came back, and they told him exactly who it was. And so then he sends a message for her to come visit him, and she does. One night stand, folks, and in verse 5, she sends him a message, the one that everybody wants to hear after a one-night stand, I am pregnant. You see, there's no decision without action. And David made a lot of decisions. He made a decision to get up and walk around at night on top of the palace. He made a decision to send and find out who was that good-looking woman that was taking a bath on her, the roof of her house. And then he made a decision to invite her 
And then he made a decision to sleep with her. You know, not only is there no decision without action, but all actions have consequences. You know, consequences abound in our lives because of the decisions we make. If we decide to drive over the speed limit, it could get us a speeding ticket. If we decide to drive under the influence of alcohol or anything else, it can have severe consequences on our life. If we decide not to pay the rent, it can usually cause a renter to lose their residence. If we decide not to show up for work, it can cause us to get fired. If we decide to be disobedient to the drill sergeant in military basic training, it can prove costly. Trust me. You see, deciding to make money for your family by making crystal meth has consequences, as Walter White was keen to show us. Deciding to sleep with your neighbor's wife has consequences. You know, the problem is that greed asks the wrong questions. Greed asks, what will it take to get that? When it should be asking the question, what will it cost? I want to read another passage to you in uh, 2 Samuel in chapter 12. Because what we saw was David asked the wrong question. David asked, what will it take to get Bathsheba up here? But as you know the rest of the story... She was pregnant, and he ends up having her husband murdered. He's the king. Nobody's saying anything to him. But this wasn't a private affair. There was probably hundreds of people that knew what was going on. And they knew that he had Uriah murdered. In 2 Samuel, in chapter 12, verses 1 through 14, I'm going to read. The Lord sent Nathan to David. And when he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town... One rich and the other poor. The rich man had, very large, had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had brought or bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children, and it shared his food and drank from his cup, and it even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now, you see the word picture that Nathan is painting for David, right? Why would David or Nathan talk about a sheep in front of David? Because he was a shepherd. He had a shepherd's heart. He knew what it was like to, to take care of them. And, and, and so Nathan continues on with the story, and he says this, Now a traveler came to the rich man. But the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep, because he had lots of them, or cattle to prepare for a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took a ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. And when, when, the, when he heard these words, verse 5 tells us that David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, a man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over. Because he did such a thing and had no pity. And then Nathan said, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you. And your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little... I would have given you more. This is what God is telling David. You've got it all. 
There's nothing I would withhold from you, David. Verse 9, why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and you took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says, out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight in front of everybody. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. You see, actions have consequences. And here's the consequences of sin. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. You know, David was thinking about sin, and he, and he knew it was wrong what he was doing. But you know what he thought? It's just one time. It's just one woman. It's just a little thing, and nobody's going to say anything. But he, did, he didn't count on her being pregnant. You know, not only will sin take you farther than you want to go, but sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. Because not only did he get her pregnant, but he ended up murdering her husband. And at the end of the day, we know this about sin, that sin will cost you more than you want to pay. You know, this is not an easy message. But the reality is that all of us struggle with the lust of the eyes. All of us have that, that fire that's burning inside, and sometimes it's red hot, and sometimes it's covered up with the ash, and you forget that it's there. And then something that we get exposed to brings the flame back. And the question is, do we think about the consequences when we're consumed by passion? when we're consumed by the desire, when we're consumed by the lust of the eyes? And the answer is no. Because all we're thinking about is consuming, wanting more. Let me show you some of the consequences that happened to David. So he gets a woman pregnant, he murders her husband, and because of that, what did David say was going to be the requirement for that rich man who had stolen the one lamb? He was going to replace it Fourfold. And four of David's sons died because of that. The son that Bathsheba was carrying died. And three of his sons, Amnon, Absalom, and Adonijah, all of them killed by the sword. David's own words forecast that. And then Nathan prophesied that his wives would sleep with one of his own family members, in front of everybody. You see, because of what David did with Bathsheba, the cost was much greater. It wasn't just an affair. It was, it affected the entire kingdom. It affected his entire family. And so because he did that, his sons thought it was okay one of his sons thought it was okay to sleep with his sister. Raper. And so one of the other brothers killed him because of that. Why? Because they saw that in the life of their father. 
you know, David thought it was just as late at night and nobody's going to know anything. I'm the king. But everybody found out. Today, we're still talking about it. So here's the question. Are we going to make good decisions or are we going to break bad with our decisions? David broke bad when it came to Bathsheba and he endured 20 years of painful consequences. 20 years. Continue to read in 2 Samuel 12 and 13 and 14 and see just exactly what happened to David. And the reality is this. If we succumb to the lust of the eyes, we're going to endure consequences. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, Jesus says, No one can be a slave to two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves to God and of money. You know, we don't, we don't have the ability to be able to be completely sold out serving God and dabble with sin, with the lust of the eyes, with greed. We, we, we can't. Now, trust me, the lust of the eyes, when it speaks to you, will tell you that it's okay, you're going to get away with this. Just like it told David that. It's going to tell you something like, you're the king, no one's going to mess with you. Just like that. And then what you're going to find out is that God's laws are true. So how do we, how do we combat this greed that seems to be so natural in our lives? Well, I'll give you the antidote to greed, and that's this, to decide to live generously. Remember the toddler? What are they doing? They're taking everything. If they could pull a cart out and put all the stuff in the cart, they'd do that too. And then when they see something new, they'll dump all that, and then they'll run over here and grab more. And the problem with greed and the problem with the lust of the eyes is it's never enough. You'll never have enough. Because... Don't raise your hand, but how many of us have said to ourselves, if I could just get another $500 a month, if I could just get a car that was paid off, if I could just get a little bit bigger of a house. And the lust of the eyes tells us that that's what we need. And then all of a sudden, that's what we're completely focused on. And we forget about the goodness of God and what all that he's already given to us. And then it's too late when we decide that we want to do the right thing because we are in bondage. We're in change to what we've already decided. So one of the things you will hear me say over and over again, that as a Christian, one of our core responsibilities is to live generously. God modeled that in giving us his only begotten son. He was generous with us. In all areas of our lives. Now, sometimes we look at ourselves and we think, no, Ronnie, you you haven't been to my house lately. Do you realize that in America that we are in the top 98 percentile of wealth in the world? So just because we're not in the top 98 percentile in Centralia doesn't mean that we're in poverty. You know, just like the word lust changed from greatly desired to meaning something radically different. Sometimes we use the word poverty and we change it from what poverty really is to our circumstance. And we're just like that rich man who has lots and lots of lambs over here and we want to serve up one for our friend that is traveling through, and, and, but we don't want to give up any of that. And so what do we do? We go and steal 
someone else's. Why? Because we could. And the problem with that is that God one day will make us accountable for that. So when I talk about living generously, I talk about three, uh, the Bible tells us that there's three ways that we can live generously, and that's with our time, our talent, and our treasure. You know, I know as pastors we get a bad rap because we talk about money, but, but here I just want to be very honest with you. If you have a hard time hearing from a or your pastor talk about money, you may want to think about that and think about where your heart is. Because here's what I've learned is that it doesn't hurt anyone else when we don't live generously. It hurts us. When we learn to live generously, all of a sudden, the windows of heaven are opened and we receive blessings the problem is most of us are afraid to live generously. We're afraid. It's fear that feeds. And so the lust of the eyes is much greater than our desire, our faith, and what Jesus has promised us. So this is what I would share with you. Is that just as King David... He could have. He had eight plus wives and more than 10 concubines. There were more than 20 women that were in the palace that he could have consumed his desires upon. And no one would have said anything. But that wasn't good enough. And instead of being generous, he stole. And he, he, he didn't stop at stealing. Then he murdered. And then he didn't stop at murdering. Then he was willing to go and kill another guy for a hypothetical lamb that got stolen. If you look on the back of your note taker, there's a quote there by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he says this, Being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. See, a lot of times as Christians, we, we get lost in the concept of not sinning. And we try, and we try so hard, and yet we find ourselves doing nothing but sinning. And the, I love the way that Bonhoeffer said this and when he said, instead of trying to avoid this sin, instead courageously and actively do God's will. That's what living generously is all about. Instead of worrying about what you don't have, take what you do and, and the little extra that you've got and share it with somebody else. Because I can show you many times throughout Scripture where God blesses that. But instead, many of us are just like David. And we've got, you fill in the blank. Is it in the bank? Is it in the house? Is it in the car? Is it in the you fill in the blank. But that's not enough. And we don't want to lose that, and so we go and take something else from somebody else. And what I would encourage us all is to embrace this antidote. Because Ephesians 5 and verse 5 says this, For no one recognized this, every, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater, remember greed and idolatry is the same thing, does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of the Messiah 
and of God. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.